on your seats around you in front of you if you haven't got one get a hold of one of the notes the other sets of notes for the continuation of this series we're doing we're doing a series on christian foundations for me there's nothing more important than foundations some of you as Pui starts the liw properly across all the congregations some of you may say well i've done foundations one do you know what personally can i tell you the truth i don't care how many times i do foundations one because i understand that you can never ever ever exhaust this material believe me you do not know everything about repentance believe me you do not know everything about salvation there's an absolute sea of information and for lack of this knowledge our lives perish folks for lack of knowledge and i enjoy going back over foundational truths and that's what we've been doing in this series maybe some of it not quite so foundational but it, it, it nonetheless I'll try and focus there as much as possible let me recap for those of you here for the first time we began in our first week looking at creation an area of understanding that is incredibly under attack as you live probably no other area other than sexuality is under more attack look at me the Bible is not so much a science book but the answers are there it's just you've got to be able to see them you've got to know what you're looking for they're all over the place and when I watch National Geographic or whatever discovery you again and again as they say they've discovered this you know what comes into my head Isaiah Job this that or the other I see scriptures all over the discoveries that science makes now they don't see it but you need to be able to see it no it's not a science book but nonetheless I can say hand on heart I have a lot more confidence in God's rendition of creation than Darwin's hallelujah a lot more and he, it's just the way he puts it he says he stretched out the heavens okay he stretched them out to the tune of, of, of billions of years in light time fine and it was made complete just like Adam and Eve were made at probably about 33 they were made complete ready to go so God created the earth just like that it was ready to go it's right there in Genesis so you begin to unravel some of Scripture and see it a little bit differently but the story of creation is there all over the place so that was our first week in the second week we looked at God's nature God is a good God in the third week we looked at man you remember this we had a look at, at, at the levels of authority. Very important, you know. Nothing will mess up your life more quickly than not sticking within the remit of your authority. Right? Remember what the centurion said to Jesus? He said, you're smart, you know. Jesus commended him. You're a man who understands authority. Well done. This is crucial, folks, for a healthy spiritual life. Does man have authority? Do you Christian have authority yes but you don't have all authority because you're not Jesus Christ only Jesus has all authority and too many Pentecostals get carried away we've got all authority. no you don't Jesus Christ has all authority in heaven and on earth not you we do have a form of authority delegated authority from him which can be given and taken away depending on how you use it now this remains important I didn't want to go here but it sort of comes up as you look at creation 
God has all authority, and angels at this point in time are above mankind. Hebrews, you've made us a little lower than the angels. And we sort of understand this. Here's, this is the third heaven, heaven where God dwells. This is the second heaven, what we call space, the known universe. And this is the earth where man dwells. Listen carefully. Man has authority on the earth. So on the earth, you've got demons and spirits and sicknesses. And tonight, we'll cast those things out. Amen. So we have authority over those. We read it. Remember Luke chapter 9, wasn't it? Jesus said, I give you authority to cast out demons. And on, the kingdom of darkness has levels of authority just like anything else. We have governments. We have legal systems, political systems. In the church, you've got apostles, prophets, pastors. You've got levels of authority. And the kingdom of darkness is no different. There are levels of authority in darkness too. There are angelic realms. And that's the realm that God says we don't interfere in. I have given you authority on earth. The highest heavens belong to the Lord, but the earth he has given to man. Right? So it goes all the way back to Adam. We have authority, a certain degree of it, a delegated authority over the demons, the spirits, the sicknesses on the earth. But you see, not angels because they're a different realm. So you've got Michael and you've got Lucifer who became Satan. You see, if you dabble in the wrong area, it's where the saying comes from. Fools rush in. Where angels, is Michael, fools rush in, dabbling in, in areas that are not their authority zone, where even Michael the archangel, it says in Jude, feared to tread. You see, Satan didn't lose his, his power. Satan's a fallen angel, but he still has all the power of an enormous angel. So Michael didn't contest him. And said, Michael said, the Lord rebuke you, Satan. Why did Michael do that? Because they're equal beings in power. Not authority, but in power. So you begin to understand how these are foundational truths, but they're truths that mess up so many Christians' lives. I've had to deal with people on this who wouldn't listen to me and see the consequences with mental illness and disease and, and, and tragedy in their, in their lives and ministries and families. And authority is important. That's why we sort of spent a little bit more time than I wanted to on it. So that was our fourth week. Third week, sorry. Last week we looked at worship. Fantastic. We looked at the personhood of Jesus Christ and why it is that we will worship him. As I mentioned, and I say this with all due respect, and I'm going to say it again because I understand it's not easy to get these things the first time. Sometimes you need to hear it three or four times and suddenly you get it. Fine. That's why there's so much repetition in the Bible. You see, I, I do not believe the focal point or the reason behind your worshiping Jesus Christ forever is actually going to be the cross. Okay? Even as much as an enormous thing that is, and his, his wounds remain forever. But I think at a certain time, we will, you know if I do someone a great, great sacrifice? I, I don't expect them to, you know, remember it forever, if you know what I mean. I'll say, it's okay, you can stop. Let's move on. And you know what God wants? God wants you to love him. Not what he did. God wants a personal relationship. Of work. He wants you to worship him. Oh, thank you for the cross. Yeah, I know about the cross, but I actually wanted you to love me. I will worship you for who you are. Really? 
really? And we get so stuck at the cross, it somehow becomes an obstacle. But I believe in eternity, it will be more than that. God longs for a relationship with you. Of course we worship Him for the cross, but there's more to it. And the more, as we saw last week in terms of worship, is the incarnation. This is why we focus on Jesus. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. It was God the Son who is now forever and ever in a human body. And that's why I've done, that's what, how we will worship Him, if you like. He's on that throne forever. Praise God. Laid aside your majesty, gave up everything for me. So you begin to see how, and of course last week we dealt a little bit with the virgin birth. Sorry, didn't mean to scare you. <laughs> but I, mean, I think we pursue the wrong line of questioning when you start to investigate the virgin birth because it's not really the focus, I think, scripturally. It's the bloodline that's the focus. Lots of, you know, wasps have virgin births. Lizards have virgin births. Jellyfish have virgin births. Several species of birds have virgin births. It, it's not the, the, the line of question, as I say, you should pursue. It's the bloodline. The reason Christ came in a virgin was the bloodline. It was to wash you in his blood and set you free to save you. So this week we will move on. And we're going to look, we've looked at God, man, Jesus. Today we're going to look at salvation. The word saved or salvation is actually more commonly used than we might think. If, say, there's a, a boat that goes down or a ship that goes down, you will see on the news and they'll say, oh, the, the boat went down and there was a, 100 people died, but there was 50 people saved. And nobody's got any problem with that. Or if there's a car accident and boys knocked down or something, and the surgeons are working day and night and they're working to save the boy's life. And then they come on the news and they say, we managed to save him. So the word saved is, is common currency. It's the first point that's the problem. <laughs> it's being saved from sin that people have the problem with. They have no problem with being saved in all the other ways. But in terms of being saved, in Christian terms, we're talking about being saved from sin. And the self-righteous types are the hardest types to win to Christ those who feel that they're in no need of repentance or that they're good enough or what's wrong with me? Why are you telling me I need to repent? The self-righteous types are the hardest types of people very often, most commonly, to bring to Christ. That's because they're making a big mistake in comparing themselves with others. I'm better than him. I, I'm better than her. And that's a wrong standard. Right? Because they can't see just how sinful they actually are. In fact, every human being ever born is a sinner. Every human being needs a savior. Every human being needs to be saved. And some of the current Catholic teaching is telling us that Mary, Virgin Mary, was sinless, just like Jesus was sinless. And, you know, their argument is, well, how could she bear a sinless child if she herself wasn't sinless? Well, we, we know how, don't we? Because the blood of Mary didn't touch Jesus. That's how. She was not sinless. Mary was a sinner just like all of us. And in fact, Mary said this, remember? My soul rejoices in the Lord, my Savior, my Savior. And she acknowledged her need of a Savior. You need a Savior, Right? And it's a savior from number one. It's a savior from sin. Secondly, we're just looking at the fundamentals of salvation. What salvation means. 
It means being saved from our sin. Number two, salvation comes after repentance. Just this week, I had a, some time with a, a person who contacted me, and they wanted to know, what do I have to do to be saved? What do I have to do? I understand that I see Jesus on the cross. I, I see the sacrifice he paid. But what's my part in this? And I was able to, to, to walk that person through salvation. You see, look at me. It's much too simple to just say repent. Much too simple. And if that's all you tell the lost, if all you say to them is repent, then you haven't told them the whole story. Because there's a lot more to it than that. There's actually four full steps in salvation. It starts with repentance, but it doesn't end there. It just starts there. There are many people who live, you know, Victorian-style lives, moral lives, but not saved. They have repented as such. They have turned from wicked ways. It's their culture. It's their upbringing. But there's more to it than just repentance. If good living could get us saved, hey, there would be no need for a cross. It wasn't just repentance. Repentance is the starting place, but it's by no means the finishing place. We start out, many people start out in repentance, but they never finish the work of their salvation. Have you ever wondered why there's so many people who come at altar calls and you never see them again? Because they never completed the journey. They have either, you know, walked away after the first step or they shipwreck their faith, as, as Paul puts it. There's a lot more to salvation than repentance. Some of you will remember this chart. It's actually on your notes as well. I'll just get it here for a reference point. That's a very good chart to understand. It really helped me see the nature of salvation. There's four steps in getting saved. Number one is to repent. In fact, let me start before that. So someone came to me this week, for example, and said, what do I do to be saved? I think I know what God does, but what do I do? Well, the, the Bible uses it two different words. For your part in salvation, the Bible uses the word conversion for the bits that you do. For God's part, the Bible uses the word born again or regeneration. And there's two different things in operation here. The, the line through the middle represents the scriptures. If you add up all the scriptures on repentance, most of them refer to man's work. Do you understand the chart? Most of the scriptures refer to man's work in terms of repentance. You repent. You know your sin. Name them and turn from them, right? It's something you're given to do. You're ordered to do, actually. So repentance is mostly man's work and a little bit from God. When you get to believing in Jesus Christ, it starts to become a little bit more equal. Still quite a lot, of course, that man has to do in changing your mind, something God doesn't do, changing your belief systems. And when you get to baptism, you've gone over the 50-50 mark, and then regeneration is, is, is God's work when he puts his Holy Ghost in you. So you see, I can't remember, some of the doctors here may remember what the statistic is for illnesses that get contracted or passed on through birth. Some ridiculous statistic, like 28, 38% of illnesses in the human race you bring in with you or you get at birth. You see, birth affects life. And whoever led you to Christ 
they had a major effect on you whether you knew it or not. Because if they didn't bring the baby into the world right, you can live a defected life, a dysfunctional Christian life. They need to bring you right through the birth canal, which is this here. It's the four full steps of salvation. You can see that all through the book of Acts, actually. If you were led, listen carefully, if, if the person who led you to Christ did the job properly, you should have walked away with a relationship with God the Father, a relationship with God the Son, and a relationship with the Holy Spirit. You should have had a, a, the fullness of the Godhead in your life. Why? Well, because we always repent towards the Father. We believe in His Son, Jesus Christ, and we receive the Holy Spirit. So all of God, if you like, is involved in your salvation. But sadly, as I say, the, the, the modern gospel, just believe in Jesus. Well, that's not the whole story. Or just repent. Well, that's not the whole story. And if you go home and you read the book of Acts again, you will see that the apostles made it their job to make sure that this process, the birth process, was being properly carried out everywhere they went. In fact, Jesus emphasized it. It's quite amazing what Jesus said to Nicodemus. Don't answer this out loud. But if I said to you, what does a man have to, to do to enter heaven? Most of you would say, repent. But that's not what Jesus said. <laughs> Nicodemus said to Jesus, Jesus, how do I get into heaven? And Jesus said, you must be baptized in water and you must have the Spirit within you. Wow. Nicodemus was a man of faith history. He was a Jew, right? So he knew about repentance and he knew about belief. They weren't a problem to him. I call this middle line, I think I'm going to call that the Nicodemus line, right? Because it's a crucial point. You laugh. <laughs> Listen, look at me. It's not funny. And do you know why? I wonder how many people here this morning are here in the spirit or in the flesh. Are you, you see, Jesus was very, you know, cutting there. He drew, whew, many people live Victorian lives, moral lives. The devil believes in Jesus. The whole world believes in Jesus. And Jesus cuts straight to the core of the issue. Who goes to heaven? Jesus. Those who have obeyed in baptism and water and actually have the Spirit within them. It's the same as the story of the ten virgins, right? The five who didn't follow through with their salvation were left behind, but the five who had the oil still remaining were raptured. Kind of scary stuff, really. You need to, t uh, now you understand what we mean about foundations. Don't ever think that you can avoid foundations one, two, three. I will revisit them for the rest of my life because I need to, because you're constantly seeing things that put me on my toes in the right way. Amen. Keeps me, keeps me right with God because I understand, as Paul said, I will walk this line with fear and trembling once you understand it. So what is salvation? Number one, salvation is salvation from sin. Number two, salvation comes after repentance. There is more work to be done. And of course, it's, it's by grace. Faith 
is not a work. We're not saved by works. Faith is not a work. So we're saved by grace through faith. And that faith is put in the death of Jesus Christ on the cross. Now, all of us use faith every day. If you get in a taxi, you're putting faith in that taxi driver. If you're getting on a bus or an airplane, you're putting faith in the pilot. Or maybe you've been sick and you needed to have an operation. You're putting your faith in the surgeon. Well, saving faith is doing exactly that with your eternity and with your life. It's putting your life in the hands of Jesus Christ, giving him your all and saying, God, I trust you. I put my trust in you alone to get me through, to save me utterly. That's saving faith. And as I've mentioned to you many times, in Ephesians, Paul says, therefore, we are saved by grace through faith. But the Greek word for faith there, there's an option to how you interpret it. It's down to the different translations. It's down to the interpreters. Because you could equally say we are saved by grace through faithfulness. Through faithfulness. Through our walk with God. Saved by grace through faithfulness. In fact, the whole of your New Testament you know, cries out this walk. Too many people, if you ask them, are they saved? Do you know what they say? Ah, yeah. Oh, when was it? 19, 19, uh, 1975. Born again then. I was at that meeting. Put my hand up. Came forward. I even got baptized. And that's the sort that Jesus speaks in Matthew's gospel, remember? They come and Jesus says, away. And they say, but Lord, we were born again. Yeah, but born again is only really one part of the deal, as you'll see in a moment. But Lord, didn't we work miracles? Didn't we prophesy in your name away from me? I never knew you. Because they, they weren't walking. They had shipwrecked their faith, actually. So faith, biblical faith, is a living, active thing. Not academic accent, ascent or a nod of your head, oh, yes, I believe, or yes, I did that. It's a daily thing. It's walking with God. And that's what, as I say, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John just cry out to us. If you will read them, you know, and see them through that lens, you will see that God calls you to a continuous walk of faith. So you see, the question to you this morning is not, did you get saved? The question is, are you saved? Are you saved? That's the question. And that's the question we need to live with and work at, as Paul did, and hope for and trust in God to get us through. It's a much more serious question because it's not trivial. So salvation is salvation from sin. It's salvation that comes after repentance because there's other steps. It comes by grace through an ongoing faith in God. It comes with assurance. And assurance is a very important thing because it leads to very sad lives when you see people who are unhappy or unstable in their Christian life. It's often assurance that is the problem. Look at this. I don't rush people when I'm leading them to Christ. I don't need them to pray a sinner's prayer. I don't need to rush the birth. Let the, let the labor pains kick in. Let the waters break. Let that woman go through her labor if you want a healthy child. All right? 
But that doesn't happen. You see the beginning of salvation? Say we're preaching here this morning and someone gets convicted. Someone feels that. Okay, you don't need to rush the birth. Conviction's a great thing. But leave them in it. Leave them in it. Salvation belongs to God. And too much unripe fruit is picked, you know? And then the fruit rots. Conviction, if you're the person you're witnessing to, is start, you start to see them think, hey, what, you know, you're right. Leave them be. Keep praying. You know they're getting convicted. Leave them be. Let God do His good work in them. You just keep praying. The next step after conviction is repentance. When they start to actually turn from their wicked ways, to turn from sin, then you've got your salvation. But you're going to... Do you know what, Please look at this. Do you know what happens? Someone comes under conviction and the modern church tries to bring them straight to assurance. And they haven't even repented yet. We're so quick to get them to pray a prayer. Well, maybe, you know, with the people Jesus dealt with, they had to go and do stuff. Go and pay back what you owe. Go and do this. Go and do that. They had things to do. Repentance is an action, right? So let once the conviction, which is a fantastic thing. Do you know what we do? Listen carefully. When we move a person and we push them, we pull on ripe fruit by moving them from conviction to assurance, do you know what we do? We kill the conviction. Here's someone and they're feeling like a sinner. Good. <laughs> Good. That's a blessing because you're beginning to see the light. They're feeling like a sinner. They're thinking, I need to go and repent. And you say, no, no, just pray this prayer <gasps> and everything's okay. And are you sure? Because I feel like a sinner. No, 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 I'll give you lots of assurance. And then we wonder why they don't come back. We wonder why they're not properly birthed, not properly saved. And some of you may have come to Christ that way. Someone rushed you into the kingdom. Some overzealous evangelist or whatever hurried your birth and you've been suffering ever since with issues that you didn't fully repent of. And you've carried them your whole life long. So how does a church in Bogota go from 500 to 250,000 in five years? How? Because the pastor takes the entire church back through the birth process and makes sure that they have fully repented, are properly saved, and have the assurance of God. So repent, uh, salvation is salvation from sin. It comes after full repentance. It's by grace, through faith, and it comes with assurance, which is fantastic to have. Assurance can only come from God, by the way. What the church does is it gives affirmation, not assurance. And if you love someone, you will be patient with them. Patience, <laughs> hard to find. One of my closest friends, he's dead now. I led him to the Lord myself. But so I got in the van. At first, I worked for him as a driver, a bread van. And he got in the van with me on the first day, and I sort of led him to the Lord kind of thing there. But I would not confirm or affirm his salvation because I, I wanted to make sure he was saved. And it was months later after, and he, and he craved my approval on this issue. Would well, you think I'm saved now? It's none of my business. Salvation belongs to God, Morgan. You just repent of your sin. You do your part and let God do his. And the months went by and he got angry, he got sad, he got all sorts of things. And then one day he walked in on a Sunday and he had a word 
and he was just so filled with that last column, the Holy Spirit was in him that I said, Morgan, you know what? I really affirm that you're saved. And I was priceless to him. If we care about people, don't rush them into the kingdom as such. All of this can happen in a split second. Fine, not a problem. People can get, you can go through that whole thing in one decision at an altar call. Amen, no problem, happens all the time. But statistically, actually, most people take time to get saved. Most people, it's over time. You heard the gospel, but you didn't respond. You heard the gospel again, you still didn't respond. And God is incredibly patient. It seems slow to us, right? Peter says that. It may seem slow. Why is God so slow? He's being patient because people need patience. They need your patience so they can deal with the issues in their lives without being destroyed. Salvation, number five, comes with assurance. And number six, it's on to holiness, as we've been studying for the last few weeks. Remember, holiness is not an optional extra, folks. You need two things to go to heaven. And the tragedy is, even in a congregation like this, where teaching is probably, you know, one of the strongest in the whole country, even some of you couldn't give me those two things. You need to be born again, and you need to be walking in holiness. The Bible says both. And we're so good at quoting the first one, you must be born again, but we're so poor at quoting without holiness, no man shall see the Lord. But they, they balance each other out. Holiness is not an optional extra. And you're back to those people again who say, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name? Lord, didn't we do lots of ministry? Away from me. I never knew you. No doubt they were born again, right? But there was something else that was keeping them out of the kingdom. And it was a walk. It was an everyday walk. Right? Holiness. Holiness is not an optional extra. It's a necessity. It's an essential. Now, God has given it to us, obviously, but we've got to work that out in our own lives. So what is salvation? It's salvation from our sins. It comes after repentance. It comes by grace through faith and with the assurance that God gives us. It, we're being saved onto a holy life in this world. And thank God we're saved for eternity. I had a, a, a dear close friend. He's also dead now. <laughs> Sorry, don't be a friend of mine. Whatever you do, you'll probably die. He died as well. He's a, quite a famous guy in his day. You know the Tour de France? The Tour de France, when it was in, uh, the Irish guy won it. The Irish guy who won it, his brother was cycling along. He was also a keen cyclist. He was cycling along in Dublin, and he got hit by a cart and died. He was like 30-odd, and they took his heart out, and they put it in my friend who had had, you know, a bad heart. So he was walking around with this new heart, you know. Everybody was talking about it. Frank's got a new heart. <laughs> and it was great. And it was well followed and publicized. It was a big thing because the guy who died was a public figure. The Frank was a great man. He was a great minister in our church, actually. And as the years went by, that whole heart surgeon team, they used to take great delight. We saved them for four years. And then the anniversary would come the next year. We've saved them for five years. 
They actually saved him for six years, and then they saved him for seven, and then he died. And they were chuffed to bits because they had managed to save someone for a couple of years. And praise God for it, for human effort. But I thank God, and you need to thank God too, that when Jesus saves, he saves forever. You do your part. You stay close to him, close to Jesus. Walk in holiness. Don't treat the gospel the way you see it, right? The lighthearted gospel. There's no such thing in your Bible. Half the problems, look at me, half the problems come because people are not reading their Bible. That's, that's it. The statements you hear people make, they would never make those statements if they were reading their Bible. Like we said last night, Jesus loved everybody. Jesus did this. They're, 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 they're statements that people make that prove, prove you're never reading the Gospels or you would never say that or behave like that. You look at the behavior of some believers. There's no way you're reading your Bible. You're not. I don't believe you. I don't believe you. Your life is telling a tale on you. And I say there's a long-term penalty for it. I won't go there, but there is, folks. Let me invite the worship team back, and we'll look at our last point. We're saved from sin. We're saved after repentance. We're saved by grace through faith in Jesus. We're saved with assurance of this same salvation. We're saved unto holiness. And thank God for all eternity. And the last one's very important. We're saved for good works. It says it in many different places and in many different ways. That you have been saved for good works, good deeds that God prepared for you to do in the world, in the church, before the foundations of this world were laid. Astonishing. Now, think of it. Don't think of anybody, anybody else a moment. This applies to you. You were saved to do good works that God predestined, pre-planned, that you would do. Now, that's priceless. Absolutely priceless. What are your good works? What are they? What's your engagement in the kingdom? Now, this church is fantastic. You guys are the best workers I've ever had the pleasure or honor to work with. But it's not the same everywhere. It's not. People don't understand the kingdom. They don't understand the, the, the sheer honor of doing one thing for God. Amen. You can say amen there. The sheer honor of doing one thing for God, no matter what it is. If I say we need ushers in this church, and we say, Isabel, John, Ian, Brenda, Gordon, Helen, Kirsty, would you do it? Do you know what that is? That's the highest honor on earth. You're being given a task in the kingdom. I, I mean, for me personally, I'm, again, I'm speaking with all my heart and all the truth. Nothing means more to me than to be able to serve God. To do anything, anything. I'll do anything for the king. Anything for Jesus. But people don't understand this. And this issue of ministry and the reason, the purpose why we're left on earth messes up so many lives. You were saved to do good works that God planned for you before the foundations of the earth. I want to find those works and then I want to do them. 
I've been at VFC now, Victory Fund, about 17, 18 years. And you see pastors come and you see pastors go. You see ministries come and you see ministries go. And very often the reasons are very similar. You meet someone, are you not a pastor anymore? No, I left. I left VFC. Hmm. Why? They're using me. Well, I think I'm an idiot? Better not answer that. <laughs> you think I'm a fool? Better not answer that either. You left ministry. You, you resigned, did you? Yeah, I did. And often the, the thing they say is this, look at me. They say, I felt like I was being used. And time after time, and many of them often young men with lesser experience of life, you give them the same explanation. See in this room, there's 120 people. They can all be an usher, Isabel. Every single one of them. Many are called, but only some people get the chance to be used. And you see, when I get any chance of ministry in my life, I look at it on a bended knee, and I say, God Almighty, there's a lot more sharper tools in the box than me. There's a lot more godly people and better people than me. And with all my heart, I thank you that I can do anything in the kingdom. Make tea. Pick someone up and bring them to church. Tidy up after them. Anything, Lord, is like gold to me. It's precious to do that in the kingdom. But it's a, it's a, it's a crying shame when churches and individuals fail to see the purpose why you were made. Repeatedly, God says this, you were saved. You tell me, what does it say? Jesus, open their ears. <laughs> you were saved. I'm not going to say it. I've said it four times. You were saved to do good works planned by God before the foundations of the earth. Okay? Now, what you need to do is put this world in this life. Everybody can live this life out there, just, you know, go and get lost sort of thing. You need to put this world and this life to the side and ask God to show you what he wants you to put your hands to. And understand the great honor that salvation brings to you. It brings you the opportunity to serve in the kingdom. Is Peter Shobi here? Peter and Dami? Peter came to me a few weeks back and he sat beside me. He was quiet. He just sat there and he didn't say anything. You know, I looked at him and I thought he's probably going to say something in a minute. I'll just be quiet, you know. But he didn't. <laughs> I sat and looked at him. All right, Peter. And he said, um, I want to make myself available. Huh? Okay. I said, what are you good at, Peter? He said, I'm a lawyer. Oh, we, we don't do law, you know. He said, but I'm also a good editor. I can edit stuff. Huh. I thought Leanne will have tropical fish if I tell her you're an editor, you know. She'll be over the moon with that. And so I gave him a, one of our books, one of our up-and-coming books. And here's a man who's sitting doing nothing, who just wanders over and says, anything in the kingdom... I could do. He's finished the book. He finished all eight chapters in about four weeks. He sat at home and very diligently, the emails used to come in about four o'clock in the morning where he finished his work. So he's obviously looking after the new baby and getting up and working and sending those that take many hours. 
It's just an example of one person who found a little bit of the kingdom in their lives and with great honor and dignity fulfilled their task. What's your task? Find it. You were saved for good works on this earth, planned for you by God before the earth was made, it says. Find them. Find them and do them. This is one of the ways we honor our King. Bow your heads. God, I want to thank you for salvation. Great, great, great salvation. Thank you for saving us, Lord. I pray that we would take it seriously and commit to a life that is a walk with you, a walk in holiness. And I thank you that we're born again. It's fantastic. It's wonderful that your blood has reached our lives. And God, I pray that we would not just be those who start the race, but those who finish it. Would you send your equipping grace down upon us as a, as a people? I pray for all those present and all those listening on radio that you will bless them and bring them to be the people you've made them and created them to be. I ask it in Jesus' name. Thank you for listening to today's program. I trust you have been blessed and edified by what you've heard. I want to ask you to do something, and that is to become a partner with us here at Preparing the Way. By doing so, you can help us to take these essential messages out to many other nations, many other people around the world. You can become a partner by visiting our website, preparingtheway.tv, and there you will find many ways that you can join up. Folks, it is a pleasure and an honor to partner with you in bringing in the end times harvest. God bless you, and once again, thank you for listening.